Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the party before the Death Eaters show up of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who have probably never felt the level of righteous indignation Barty Crouch runs on. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, BJ and Spencer. How are y'all doing? Amazed, as always, by your very accurate summaries of what we are and what we represent, Sarah. Also very appreciative that you didn't go with the very obvious dark mark of (laughs) Mangum Ducks. I just try to keep you guessing, BJ. I don't know. Mm. Um, so we are on chapter nine um, of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows, the Dark Mark. The it Deathly Hollows? No, that's the different book that we are talking about later. Spencer, you don't know anything about this. Yeah, this is yeah, nothing but... to do with anything. No, it's fine. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. I was wondering, is that the British name of this one? Nope, that no, is a, it... a synapse misfiring in my brain. Um, <laughs> Right, deleting that thought. Go on. Yeah, um, <laughs> the time turner did not function as we had hoped. <laughs> to be fair, it is a title of a book. It's not that much. It of a is spoiler. just not this one. Is, is that one of the later ones we're getting to? Yes. Yes. And thank you for okay. keeping yourself so insulated, Spencer. It's much appreciated. <laughs> I really don't know. Whew, okay. Well, so here we are in the fourth book, not the last book of Harry Potter. Um, and we have some segments we do here. We have a rapid fire recap. We have BJ's Wizard Wheezes. We have Newbie's Notes with Spencer's. We award house points. And then there are questions, queries, qualms, quibbles, etc., etc., um, that get neatly danced around at the end of every episode. <laughs> danced around, thrown at you. One of the two. Um, yeah, whatever. So... Well, Sarah, I have to express my condolences with respect to the recap this time around. You had agreed to BJ's terms about there being a two-minute set time limit for every chapter, with you being the only person who had read this book before. So presumably known, there would be this 27-page monstrosity that you would have to overcome. I'm excited. Yeah, you know, sometimes, Spencer, as a self-defense mechanism, your brain blocks out certain key details of experiences (laughs) in your life. Um, and yet here we are. (laughs) Well, I sincerely hope your brain does not fail you this chapter, Sarah, because you are two chapters down in the course of our last two weeks. This is a rough run you've been on. I know. I'm hoping, I'm hoping to get it back today. Although I imagine that whether I am ultimately successful or not, BJ will have complaints about what I've chosen to cut out of my summary. (laughs) Well, Sarah, you can be reassured that of the three of us, you are the only one who had even the slightest hope of successfully accomplishing this goal. So our, our hopes are with you. Thank you. So I am going to put a bet down. I will I will oh. say that. I'm going to try to claw myself back out of this hole. Um, All right. What is the bet? I'm going to place a friend George Weasley-like bet on this chapter. Um, no, I'm going to go for the solid two minutes. I think I can do it within five seconds under two minutes. So you think you're going to do 155, five seconds either way? Yes, let's, we'll, we'll go ahead and do that. Um, okay. Since come hell or high so, water, yeah. I will not be going over two minutes in this chapter. All right, we'll, we'll count it. Uh, the stopwatch is ready. Are you? They head back to the campsite discussing the match until late in the, eight, late in the evening while listening to the crowding outside. 
Harry is dreaming of Quidditch when he's pulled out of sleep by an urgent Mr. Weasley. The celebrating has turned ugly as a group of hooded and masked wizards move in formation through the camp with the muggles who run the campsite and their children suspended between them. These unknown wizards make their way through the camp, wrecking chaos and gathering a crowd while causing others to flee. Mr. Weasley t tells Harry and co. to run towards the woods and stay together. Run and as they do, they run into a bizarre cast of characters in this, like, Hieronymus Bosch scape, including Malfoy, Winky, a student from Bobaton, Vila, Goblins, and a confused bagman. Finally, they settle down to wait and discuss the madness. From somewhere nearby, they hear a voice cast Mesmordra, and a vast green glittering skull with a serpent coming out of its mouth lights up the sky, causing bedlam in the forest. It's the dark mark, Voldemort's sign. Twenty wizards apparate around them, blasting stupefy spells the kids just managed to duck. Mr. Weasley rushes in to stop the ministry while Crouch is on the warpath, convinced that Harry, Ron, and Hermione cast the Dark Mark. They try to explain, and Crouch is nearly mad um, in his suspicion. Luckily, their stunners went through the trees where the spell was cast, cast from, and they discover Winky, of all people. Crouch is livid, although Mr. Weasley doesn't think it could have been the elf, but she is found with a wand. They revive her and question her. She is terrified and insistent that she didn't cast the spell or steal the wand, which turns out to be Harry's lost wand. They examine the wand and find out um, and find that it was the one that indeed cast the spell. Amos Diggory is furious and uh, Barty Crouch is perhaps even worse. Mr. Weasley tries to indicate that anyone could have taken the wand, conjured the mark, and disapparated, but no one is listening. Crouch coldly indicates that he will be giving Winky clothes, although it seems he's mostly mad that she ran without permission. Mr. Weasley gathers up the kids. They join up with the others for a quick debrief, and Percy is, to no one's surprise, on Crouch's side. There's a lengthy discussion about the implications of the Dark Mark, which hasn't been seen in 16 years, as well as Death Eaters and their idea of fun. Harry drops into an uneasy sleep, wondering if his burning scar is connected to the night's events. 152. You made it. 152, sorry, but my mic was on mute. One not, not intentional dramatic tension. 152, 152, you made it. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you also but, for indicating but, that I should be uh, betting 155. Now, I, I've got to, yeah, I've got to ask, I have to turn to our judges, though. BJ, was that, a, in your view, a sufficient summary to qualify under the standards? I feel uh, a little bad, Um I, I will say that, that we have not set standards before, um, and going forward, I think that there needs to be a, uh, maybe a slightly democratic uh, view of what this, uh, this recap has done, uh, or what the, how the recap is done. It, has it actually captured the, uh, the chapter itself? Uh, I will say, uh, I think that, Sarah, if you were to rate your own recap, Fairly, what would you say? Listen, I think it's perfect, guys. This could be run by a I source, hear a little Sarah. bit of, of refusal there, and I appreciate that. I think if, um, I, if I were honestly going to rate this recap on a scale of 1 to 10, given the time constraints, I would give it an 8. I, I would find the recap effective. I think you necessarily cut through almost all of the evocative imagery. Yes. Kind of had to. Yeah. Well, it is, is in yeah. fact, Fair as enough. we have found out, the evocative imagery that gets me into trouble in these recaps. <laughs> it does. Yes, <laughs> you've learned well. But uh, be, be, yeah, be, we will put it in. We will put um, it in, BJ. If you wish to devise standards going forward, because I'm assuming that given how early we had a 27-page chapter, we're going to have a few more of these just eras to go through. If you'd like to put together rules and standards, we can codify those because it is always kind of the implied basis that the summary not only has to be in the time limit it needs to effectively convey what occurred that's true um the other thing that we can do is keep paring down the time oh gosh and and see where we end up 
because clearly this is one of the longest chapters and it was done in uh, you know almost a minute 50 seconds so two minutes is clearly well overshooting. I would like to point out that we set rules regarding the time limits <laughs> on these recaps I, at we the did. beginning of this book a and priori. those are I'm just absolutely saying, going forward concretized <laughs> after after this book we are wide open absolutely not. Well, Sarah, if if you were curious, uh, as of chapter nine, you have scored twelve points so far. Okay, and how many points do I need? I was going to pull up the rules in the time it took you to ask that question because I've written them down. <laughs> what are we doing here? What, what is this? Things. <laughs> what are we doing? What? Where are we? And why does that wand, uh, most recent spell, have some sort of memory charm going on? I don't understand. You, your goal. Your goal is 50 points over the course of 37 chapters. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Um, yes, so um, Wizard Weezing is... I would also, Weezing hold is, on, one second. Yes. I have another thing to say. <laughs> and another thing. And the bone this, to pick this section. This time gets tacked on to your... <laughs> Go ahead. I would also like to know, over the course of both of your sections, exactly what information you feel was particularly necessary that I left out of my summary. No, I think you hit the major plot points. Again, again, the major major thing you breezed over was just the woods. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the... the woods. So, so I think instead of talking about the various interactions that our uh, terrible three have with other people, which I think are are kind of important, just generally. Yes, they are. Uh, it was I. They met all these people. And now we're going to just continue on. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yes. And I will say, and this has become a new segment called Defend the Recap. <laughs> <laughs> Your rebuttal, counselor. Um, I did, in fact, have those descriptions in my first draft of, of the recap. Um, and they ended up pushing up towards two minutes and 45 seconds. So, Fair enough. Uh, well, my, it is understandable. My executive decision on that front was Mm -hmm. that because there are in fact some salient details um around why these interactions are important my executive decision was that spencer would probably very helpfully cover these in newbies notes reasonable assumption Um, uh yeah well we we can always take the amount of time in newbies notes divide it by like 10 and and say that that that's the uh, addition that, that you get to make Spencer <laughs> talk about them. There is no math in the wizarding world, BJ. We've been over this. Sarah having offered her thesis defense, Dean Slater, yes. do you have your wizarding wizard section to follow? I do. Um, so, so there's only one thing that is within, very well within the wizarding uh, wizard's wheelhouse, which is Bobatons is the best thing to come out of this chapter. Um, And about is on brand for uh, J.K. Rowling's presumably sense of humor, possibly opinion of the French, (laughs) and alliterative uh, aspirations. We're going to need to discuss naming of things by by the time we're done with these segments, because there's a lot of new names that we got. (laughs) Yes. Um, So... Pretty Wand as the name of uh, a magic it's academy um, is pretty great, but also kind of uh, that that sort of tug in cheek thing that we get every so often, which I you know I do enjoy. Um, I do have sort of a question proposed to both of you, which is what what's sort of the equivalent in 
the UK of cross burning because that's kind of what goes on here or was kind of being described yeah. to a certain extent with the uh, skull appearing with a death and, and like over somebody's house and, and this is clearly kind of fairly uh, muggle targeted or mm-hmm. even more so mudblood that has sort of maybe not the same stigma to certain words in the English language, uh, but kind of similar. And it just seemed like an interesting thing for JK Rowling to do that isn't like, you know, to me, like, I just don't know offhand if there's some sort of English equivalent or she's pulling from elsewhere because pretty much everything else about this book is more English than uh, tea and and Christmas cake. Yeah. I mean, this seems like an interesting kind of amalgamation of a sort of, American history, like an American clan history, coupled with um, a sort of Nazi Germany imagery. So it seems mm-hmm. to be drawing, like to my mind, it's it's drawing most significantly from those two traditions um, and sort of trying to make it English. I don't really know. I mean, I sp- I sp- <laughs> let's draw from the traditions of the Klansmen and <laughs> Nazi Germany and make it English. Well, I mean, that's kind of 1984, but. <laughs> I mean, there there are certain English traditions about pub, uh, kind of public humiliation or public mm-hmm. presentation of somebody with like tar and feathering or riding somebody out of town on a rail kind mm-hmm. of thing, or even just being putting them in the stocks. There's mm-hmm. there are English traditions with that idea of publicly humiliating someone, but not not as much that I'm bringing to mind with the idea of a crowd kind of. Di- well, no, several of those were with a crowd. So, so there, yeah. there, there are some there are some roots you can draw from there, but the imagery is much more, especially with the fires blazing in the background, is much more distinct with those ones you mentioned, Sarah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. especially and the, the kind of like thing... robed, hooded imagery. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say the only thing that that's slightly reminiscent of this is Guy Fox Day. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. But but that doesn't have like the same like outward violence part, and I don't think hooded robes. Yeah. Now, if we, we want to if we want to go into that kind of sectarian or particularly religious violence in the UK, we can turn to Northern Ireland, but let's not. <laughs> uh, yeah. Fair enough. That that, that area that era is somewhat troubling. So <laughs> just, anyway, just a bit. Um, I think uh, we should turn to newbies notes. I'm happy to do so. Okay. Um, in what is a remarkably dark, gothic, evocative chapter with some incredible imagery, I somehow find the most terrifying thought the pondering of what Fred and George's plans are with their winnings, with their gambling winnings. <laughs> I don't know what they're planning, but similar to their dad, I'm not sure if I want to know for plausible deniability's sake. Yeah, that is where we start the chapter, and we, we get no closure yeah. on that. <laughs> No, no, other things that are there to distract us. And with respect to that imagery, again, the image of that cluster of dark wizards, what were they called? Yeah. Something, eat, something Eater. They're Death what Eaters. Death Eaters. Mm-hmm. Death Which eaters. I have, like, ad- accidentally said before, I think this might you, be the first time we have, get yeah. them actually, we actually see them and get them described. Um, yeah. So with the cluster of them in the center, but even more terrifying to me, it's just the cluster of supposedly normal people around them that mm-hmm. come to join them. Mm-hmm. They come to cluster and laugh and jeer and are seemingly overjoyed to have this back in their lives. The implications of that, that everyone like dismisses this as, oh, that was an evil era and we're glad it's done. But how quickly people flock back under its banner and the banner being tortured muggles held aloft is yeah. kind of terrifying. Yeah, it's and that- it is... Um... You know, it's it's clear, I think, from the chapter that it's not the vast majority of um, people at the World Cup, but it is a, like a significant group of people. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was going to ask y'all, but how, how many pondered? Because Harry keeps on talking about more and more people joining, and what is really a kind of tiny knot of Death Eaters in the center, mm-hmm. and then a large crowd that's forming around them. But if anything, it's, make, it's making the minister a harder job for the minister to get to them. Did you guys have an impression of how many people were kind of clustering there? Because I was thinking at least dozens. Yeah, I would say dozens. Um... Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that there's sort of the other side of it that. To me, it was unclear whether some of the crowd or a good chunk of the crowd was more just like, what on earth is going on? Let's go spectate like a train crash as opposed to, well, this is the, you know, almost more fun than than our. uh, Yeah, because in, in these kinds of events that like go from harmless celebration and exuberance to get that shift in tone to like there's real danger and violence which like frequently happens in these cases um it's there is a a real lag time i think for people who would otherwise not be participating in the violence to figure out what is actually going on yeah Yeah. and i would say like i i wasn't present for this but sarah did you ever go to uh apple chill or was that gone okay um so unc had a fall uh street fair Mm. um and basically like it was sort of this fun thing and you know fried food stalls and stuff like that i don't remember like i mean it was just a you know street fair they closed down the main drag um and fairly often there was like a sort of after that sort of closed down for the night there was like other festivities that would happen yeah um until like the couple of shootings that chapel hill sort of ever saw happened afterwards like surrounded by like gobs and gobs of people Mm. yeah i think that was Um, that was gone by the time i was okay yeah but but that is that does feel your description of that feels like exactly what's going on here it's yeah it's such an interesting mix of where it's 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 Definitely part, you know, drunk revelry after a major sporting event, which England has a hell of a tradition of, yeah. uh, with a mix of almost like a street party. But there is a decisive element of, you know, Ernst Röhm and the SA or Ludendorff ordering the Beer Hall Pooch to march. There's, with everybody clustering there together and then all marching together in mass, seemingly in a direction, burning tents as they go, there's a lot of crowd involvement in this beyond just simply spectating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, I would say things like that when there are, you know, major sports wins, like, people do something, like, out of, and then, like, sometimes things turn a lot south, and I think this is sort of what it is, and so uh, I'm, you know, not trying to defend their actions per se, but my guess is of those dozens of people, there are some people that are just, like, well, burning other wizards' tents because we're drunk and crazy and they run out it was all fun and games, but I this is a sobering thing and I'm uncomfortable, but I'm still here. And then there's, like, the other half that is just like, why do I only have two muggles up in the air? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, let's march in a nearby town. We can get a whole forest of these people up there. It, it is a very dark, effectively dark visual that we get in this chapter. Yes. It's almost so effective, I feel like J.K. Rowling felt the need to pull back from him a bit mm-hmm. and make it a little bit funny with, like, the main concern that we hear from, we see from the muggles that are aloft is that their underwear is showing. Yeah, Not... there is, like, a very clear move on Rowling's part, I think, to mitigate specific violence against these muggles. Right. It, it, 
she's trying to make it very clear that it's more that they're embarrassed and uncomfortable rather than this is an active act of torture. Mm -hmm. And if I understand her doing that, this is a children's book. I was a lit. It felt so different than the imagery, though. It took me a bit out of it for mm -hmm. a second. Mm -hmm. so it was mm -hmm. so effective. And then there's the underwear joke. It's like, okay, you were intensely trying to dial it back. And I understand why, given your given your chosen audience. But I feel it's it's almost disappointing, just given how effective she was in setting up that moment and depicting that moment. And I, I don't think that there's anything wrong in having really dark moments that that are essentially historical parallels for. Sure children that are presumably 12 to 14 mm -hmm. maybe 15 i think if we, you know if we're going harry's age he's 50, he's turning 15 this book mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I think it's almost more effective if that they're depicting this and the kids are horrified and almost confused by it and have such a different reaction to it compared to their parents that lived it because of how foreign mm -hmm. it is to them and we'll get to that and we here in a minute when we talk about the um the uh, death mark or whatever else sign they put in the sky because they really effectively do that same when it comes up. I would like um, to, could you, I don't have, my book is in the other room. Could you, I, I just want to check something because my reading of that is actually a little different than yours. Um, could you like read the specific lines where Rowling pulls back from that? Sure, one second. I will try to find... Uh, I was going to say, I have it essentially because I was just looking at it um, so yeah here it is um, they didn't see it. so the floating people were suddenly illuminated as they passed over a burning tent and Harry recognized one of them Mr. Roberts the campsite manager that the other three looked as though they might be his wife and children uh, one of the marchers below flipped Mrs. Roberts upside down with his wand her nightdress fell down to reveal voluminous drawers as she struggled to cover herself up as the Crowd below her screeched and hooted with glee. It, it's still dark. It's still unpleasant. Mm -hmm. It's still obviously embarrassing and uncomfortable from her. But by adding that kind of focus and adding that kind of personalization, rather than just almost just keeping them as just tortured, twisting uh, objects, I, it took me out of the moment, at least for me. Yeah, because yeah. previously this was um, high above them, floating along in midair. Four struggling figures were being contorted into grotesque shapes. It was right. as though the mass wizards on the grounds were puppeteers, and the people above them were marionettes uh, operated by invisible strings mm -hmm. that rose from the wands into the air. Two of the figures were very small. And that is, that is such really an effective scary. sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, I do, I do take your point. I think, that, like, particularly the use of the word voluminous is difficult to yes. get around. Um, drawers. At the same time, I will say, though, when I was reading this, especially because it was the wife, there is, like, the hint of sexual violence specifically with that scene. There um, is. Yeah. That, you know, obviously never comes to fruition. Like, that's not what we're actually doing. But, I, like, I actually read a real threat in that. Yeah, and I understand that. And I, and I can see that, too. For me, I think almost not personalizing them and mm -hmm. keeping them as just grotesque objects that were twisted in shapes. Yes. My mind went places with that description. That was Absolutely. almost one of the more effective sentences she's ever had Absolutely. in just that description. But then just focusing on voluminous, I agree, the use of voluminous was probably a mistake, even yeah. if they're going the more sexual violence route. No, no matter what, no, yeah, no matter what the aim with that was, I think that, that you're absolutely right, that that is a, um, just a poor choice. Yeah, but... Moving, move, moving on from there. Incredibly effective scene. One of the most effective ones she's ever painted. I would love to see that one put mm -hmm. on put on the screen. We cut to Malfoy being Malfoy. Just 
He's not even trying to hide it. I mean, this is a guy that is just wearing a card saying, I am totally not a Nazi. Just, (laughs) this is what he's just doing it while he's still dressed in an SA uniform. (laughs) He is just making no pains whatsoever to hide the fact that his dad is right now one of those robed figures in the middle of that crowd. And he's proud of it. He is just glorying in this. He is watching just gleeful by himself and is just using the opportunity to taunt his fellow classmates of, oh, look here, we've got a mudblood. I'm saying mudblood. Better hide her. Wouldn't want your drawers to be shown off to everybody. And again, the fact they're focusing on the drawers again emphasize that point to me again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and him saying, like, this would be funny. Like, I, I, that, I think that, that those two things take away from at least the implied sexual violence there. I guess for me it did. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, you're certainly, you're certainly right. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that the choice of, the choice of words around the voluminous drawers is a bad, was a bad choice. But I do think that that particular, that particular moment does imply a certain type of like reduction to objecthood. No, no. That is yeah. not, not in keeping with the threat. Yeah. And I like I completely agree with that. I just I think I think you're reading into what it could and should have been. Yes, that that I, might be true. That might be true. And I, and I think that's that is a very effective point and could be a more effective point that just wasn't done effectively here. Yeah. And I almost think it was intentionally not done effectively. It was yeah. very intentionally done the way it was, just to mm-hmm. add something. I almost felt that she wrote this, wrote it very effectively, and then looked at it and went. How can I just how can I just pull that back just enough so that p- parents don't immediately close the book and stop reading for the night? I, I think that that's that's probably yeah. what happened. I mean, and I think it's sort of it. This might be where she's struggling with her audience mm-hmm. because if the audience is fourteen year olds, then yeah. I think it's fine, it, like it, uncomfortable, yeah. obviously, but fine. But this is also being read to eight and six year olds, right? So that's, then a, it's, that's a hell of a talk right there, yeah. right? problematic yeah um which sort of reminded me uh fairly quickly like i don't imagine them as 14 year olds like in the in like their interactions like i don't imagine any of them as teenagers there's like to me a lot of their interactions still feel like they're they kind of stopped aging at 12 for me in my mind. I think yeah. that that's an interesting point and I, t- I I think that that is going to change for you over the course of this book. Um gotcha. I would imagine that they still I think the generous read of why they still feel like that is that we are still in the chapters of this book yeah. where they are under parental supervision. And, and, gotcha. And most of our experience with them is from them at a younger age anyway. Yeah. We haven't got a chance sure. to experience them as teens yet. Well, I mean, they were presumably 13 last book, but yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, but 13 is I, real different from 14. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I guess that that was sort of the other thing that in in Malfoy's interaction with uh, Hermione and, and some other things here, it just, it doesn't have that, like, teen starting to get those, like, more sexually overtoned interactions mm, mm-hmm, yet mm-hmm. and even like harry's uh sort of semi-infatuation with the ravenclaw seeker yeah cho cho mm-hmm. cho? cho chang cho- yeah okay. more of those bad names um still seems more juvenile yeah it's like a puppy than... love sort of thing we haven't really yeah. seen anything other than that 
Mal- Malfoy hints at it, but it's almost like he lacks the maturity to hit those points yet. Yeah. He's, ju- he's still just such a schoolyard bully that he's never had to really mature beyond <laughs> that to actually learn how to properly taunt somebody. Learn a lesson from the French. There's French people in the woods. You can learn something from them. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll discuss French people in the woods here on the question section because I have some. But um, the Harry's lost wand seems convenient. Uh, I mean, the fact that he lost a wand while he was running, reasonable enough. The fact that somebody found it and very specifically cast the spell that brings everybody to their location seems an interesting coincidence. Mm-hmm. And it was ended up in the hands of the house elf of the person that's just like, well, you know that I have this long history of having absolutely nothing to do with the dark arts, <laughs> so I couldn't even imagine why you would accuse me of absolutely anything. Right. And, right. you know, there's nobody else there that could have done anything, so yeah. it must be Harry Potter. Wait. One of the people with Harry Potter. (laughs) So I feel that that is not just a happy accident. Happy accident's a weird way to describe (laughs) what occurred. But, you know, J.K. Rowling likes to set wheels within wheels and use foreshadowing and everything else. And this seems like a point to come back to about this seems like there was a bit of a plan going on here. I would would remember that Harry's wand was quote-unquote lost at some point, yes. Keeping track. Uh, We also, again, this is a very mature chapter in a few ways. We get an interesting exploration of cultural bigotry through Ron, of all people, of where we get to see the fact that Ron being born in the cloth in the Wizarding World doesn't... It's not that he's a bad person. It's that he's literally never pondered the lot in life of the house elf. Mm-hmm. It really takes the outsider, Hermione, to point out that, no, this is this is really wrong. <laughs> this is, I, I, I use the word dehumanizing, but that's not quite appropriate. But it is a deeply abusive series of practices that you're engaged in, and everybody's treating it like normal. And I like that Ron is innocently confused when she's bringing this up because raised in this world where this is normal, he doesn't have a frame of reference to think of this as being anything other. Well, I love he even says it. Well, they enjoy it. I mean, they don't complain. So clearly they like what they're doing. It's an inch. It's an interesting and very adult theme to go into here. We even get further evidence about just, we've talked many chapters before about how, Pro rigidly pro-human and anti-magical creature the wizarding world is, we now know, and I don't think we knew this before, correct me if I'm wrong, that magical creatures can't even by law use wands. Mm-hmm. We do get that, yeah. I, I don't know if we'd ever heard that before. It doesn't ring a bell no. with me. I don't think so. Um, I think this is the first time we're Spencer, it. I'm pretty sure anytime we counter any legal thing, that's going to be about as burned into your mind as any other plot point. <laughs> they, they do so. resonate, yes. This is not This is a very notable one. And again, they treat it as if it is just utterly binding law, and the mere fact that it was found in her, found in her person, this house elf, um, Winky, I think it's Winky, right, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. now in serious trouble with the law. She may go in front of the, the court. Again, I love that Hermione is pointing, pointing out something we've talked about before about this is a massively fucked up system that y'all are running in here. Mm-hmm. But it, it is a fun, great note and indictment on society to put Ron in the form of being the innocent person who just doesn't object because they don't have enough outside perspective to realize that what they're living in is wrong. That's a nice touch, and I like we get to see that in this chapter. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think it's mm-hmm. it's interesting, but also, like, I, I also like that he's sort of... Like, oh, like, I didn't realize it starting to come around a little bit. And then his dad is just like, like, we need to have this discussion clearly, but now is not the right time <laughs> yes. for it. it. And so, like, it's really a learning moment. Mm-hmm. 
it, it's the it's the first catalyst of the learning moment. He's even resistant to it at first, which is appropriate. But I, I agree, it would have been such a an unfortunate break in the uh, such an, a break uh, a break or a stop of what is otherwise really great flow to this chapter to suddenly have a five minute spiel <laughs> on that subject. <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, let's let's discuss discrimination in society later. We're trying to deal with Death Eaters. We'll come back right. to this one. <laughs> and also, like, it's been a chapter by chapter theme so far. So I'm sort of curious yes. to see it, how if this continues through the book because we've had Ron in this position a couple of times already. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that we get the return of the Vila. I love that we get the return of Stan Stan Shunpike with the Vila. Yes. Mm-hmm. Of all the people, uh, it was obviously going to be Stan Shunpike standing in the woods. My namesake yes. is returned. <laughs> uh, I do note that Harry appears completely unaffected by them. Because Ron is. Ron's immediately seduced and is starting to brag about various broom practices. Uh, Harry notes this, laughs about it, and then works with Hermione to pull Ron away. Harry was previously affected by this, so that confused me, interested me. Maybe I'll return to a question on that later. Uh, among the cavalcade of random people that we get to meet inside this woods, Bagman mm-hmm. just shows up. Having no Bag- idea what's going on in the campsite. No idea. I mean, that's about as Bagman as you can get, right? Yeah, well, yes and no. You think he'd be at the center of the revelry. What is he doing in the middle of the woods? What is he doing looking baffled and tired and worn out? Why isn't he half drunk with a smile plastered on his face just having gotten lost in the woods after revelry? <laughs> I mean, because as as the line judge in a major tournament, like, you don't... He was the announcer. I mean, he wasn't the line judge, but, like, yeah. But, I mean, still, he's the one that got all this organized, presumably, sort of... Um. <laughs> no, no, he's not. He's barely even the face of this operation. He has harried underlings who have gotten it organized sure. for him. He has harried underlings and Barty Crouch to get all this going. <laughs> so it, it is, I'm putting a note in this to return because it is odd. He looks baffled. He looks confused. And his line about of suddenly shocked and turning and focusing on Harry uh, and saying, damn them, and immediately teleporting away is a level of focus from him that we've not seen previously either. That there's no there's no element of happy confusion that he demonstrates in every other scene we see of him once he returns. That is pointed. That is immediate. That is a a level of immediate response we've never seen out of his character previously. Going from a state of serious confusion. Mm-hmm. I'm make I'm I'm, ma- I'm making a note to y'all that I'm making a note because this <laughs> it, this seems like J.K. Rowling saying, "Huh, wasn't that odd?" Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, BJ, you already brought up the idea of names. We get a lot of spell names in this chapter, some of which are better than others. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wrote down four. I think there were four. Uh, stupefy, I think we've heard before, but, you know, simple, effective. No one's going to be at all confused by that one. Innervate, I think I'm pronouncing that that one correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the, yes. an, the anti-stupefy? Sure, fine, that works. The one, mm. one I got a serious bone to pick with is the probably laziest spell ever. <laughs> Prior Incantatato, or Incantato, is just annoying to me. <laughs> this is this is the hill you're going to die on, Spencer. I'm, there are other ways this could have gone other than Prior Incantation is the spell that, pr- that tells you the Prior Incantation. It, come on. Listen, sometimes you just need things clearly labeled. <laughs> In the, in the Harry Potter wizarding world? No, you don't. It needs to be buried in Latin or something. Tongue, tongue, toffee. Yes. At least that one was fun. Pirate <laughs> Cantato is not. On the other hand, 
Uh, I'm going to butcher this because I don't know Latin. Mors Mordre? Am I pronouncing that correctly, sir? I think so. I stumbled over it in my recap. Uh, which means death bite, which now that you guys clarified death eaters seems all the more appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is interesting. It is a silly name and a kind of a silly over-the-top image, which I mm-hmm. love that the kids are looking at going, okay, well, that's kind of weird, and just brushing it off because they have none of the history. But then we get such an effectively haunting explanation and story from Arthur, which is just great. Again, we've talked before about this, about the difference in generational effect, about those who lived through the war, those that lived through the violence, those who lived through basically their equivalent of the troubles, and the kids today that have no perspective on that. Mm -hmm. And the story of him describing the idea of people returning home to just see that mocking, ridiculous image hovering over their house and them just breaking as a person from seeing that was perfect that was such an effective story and such an effective description and i Mm -hmm. love the contrast between arthur's personal experience with it and the kids just treating it as silly because they did not live through it Mm -hmm. very well done like that so much just i love the little hints we get of the terror of an age that the their parents survived um we cut from that to what is a purposely confusing back and forth scene of when the ministry literally apparates onto the scene of someone cast that spell up into the air. The ministry comes like, comes to it like the beacon that it is. And everybody just starts blasting. (laughs) (laughs) These, these are cops dropping somebody that pulled a wallet kind of thing of where all 20 of them are just immediately shooting the moment they go off. (laughs) Luckily, all of them failed their shooting course and none of them hit our act that hit the actual kids. We do have a stormtrooper sort of moment here, yes. We did they apparently hit some innocent bystanders, it also turned out. <laughs> um, but it's an interesting scene, because we get that moment of confrontation, we get Crouch coming in, and Crouch is not acting like Crouch from what we've seen before. No. The di- mm-hmm. the discipline, the control, the level of administrative skill we've seen previously is all out the window. This guy is on tilt. His eyes are bulging. He's making rapid, unfounding accusations that he knows are unfounded. But he is clearly off kilter. And we don't necessarily know why or even have a theory why at the start of the conversation. By the end, we know a bit more. But none of his mood is helped by Winky then showing up as the uh, person that's shot on the other side of the street by police officers kind of moment. No. Mm -hmm. Because we get an interesting kind of, you know, Caesar's wife must be above suspicion kind of thing. No one really believes that Winky was involved, but the fact that she was present and embarrassing to him is a crime beyond compare. It's yeah, that, and she's sort of holding the loaded gun. Yes, she, she she's holding the loaded gun. She's ma- made him involved. She's made him even briefly the subject of suspicion. He is such a proud man that there's just no worse crime she could have inflicted upon him. Um, it leads to an interesting moment though of when. Uh, Diggory? Um, yeah, Amos Diggory. Amos Diggory starts throwing around unfounded accusations. I, either a mix of being overly passionate or not the brightest bulb. Probably a certain mix of the two. I, I'm, I'll go with overly passionate. Mm-hmm. But there's the implication that he almost just accused Crouch because he's accusing Crouch's servant, who's not a person in her own right. So clearly she's accusing the ma- he's accusing the master. Yeah. And we get a line from... Uh, Crouch that basically says, you just accuse the two most unlikely people here present. You know the story about Harry. Like, yeah, I do. And then we get a line from him, and I trust you remember the many proofs that I have given over a long career that I despise and detest the dark arts and those who practice them. Mm-hmm. And everyone is silenced. That conversation stops right there. 
And again, I just love the history that's draped in these characters for. I don't know what he was involved in in the past. I don't know what role he may have paid and played in the last war or what personal battles or sacrifices he suffered through. But his honor on this point is so beyond repute that everyone is just silenced and the conversation moves on. That I read it differently. Really? Yeah, uh, that... I guess I read it that like he says a lot that he's well known for it and he's in the ministry and so everybody's like, Yeah, I guess that makes sense and so they're silenced, but it like I didn't get the sense that everybody knows what he's done. I kinda I, I did. I, I the level of righteous indignation he bears to this, it's just almost like he can't he is legit he is in that kind of baffled rage that someone would dare accuse him of this, given what he's lived through or done or whatever else. Yeah. Um, you will note that I am staying silent in this speculative I, conversation. Woke up. Yes. I'm sure we'll come back to it, but it, it is an interesting moment. Um, we don't know. I don't know much about Barty Crouch other than that. He's very good at his job at being an administrator and he's Percy's personal hero. <laughs> um, Th- that's enough to make me go, well, he's probably Lord Voldemort with a funny nose on. <laughs> I'm going the opposite route. (laughs) I don't know what happened to this guy, but his hatred of dark magic, dark wizardry, for me is just clear as a flag. And I'm curious to know more about why that is. And it could possibly explain why he is just so utterly on tilt. I mean, BJ, your explanation that he's, you know, a dark wizard in disguise could also be an explanation. But for me, when he shows up here, he's looking to kill somebody. Okay, so Sarah, real quick, (laughs) do we find out more about Mr. Crouch's past? Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. This is not it. this is not one of those things that is just conveniently left to the side. It gotcha. is it is late in this book, but we do find out much more about his past. Yeah. Cool. This this is almost like a guy who's going through a PTSD flashback to me of where he's just seen that marker again and he's arrived on the scene ready to kill somebody just to stop it and never let it happen again. Don't yeah. I don't know, but that's how I read it. Uh, said Cedric Diggory being said uh, not, not Cedric uh, Amos Diggory. <laughs> yeah. Cedric's the mm-hmm. son. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I love that, again, the more we see of Mr. Weasley, the more we realize that he's probably the most competent person at his job or in the ministry that we've otherwise have otherwise have available, of where he's immediately the one that calms the situation, that talks to the witness, that gets everybody else's head on straight about who could be involved and who isn't involved, and then gets everybody out of the situation and back to their own corners. And when he's walking, even walking back to the camp, he's keeping all the kids on track. That we're getting back to the camp, that's what we're doing right now, we'll talk about the other things later. And I like that we get to see that also sign of his older kids, too. Where Bill and Charlie were right there with him in this scrum. Of where mm-hmm. his oldest kids went right in to assist the ministry and apparently got hurt in the process of trying to catch these Death Eaters that I otherwise apparated out. It's just such a great opportunity to see the Weasleys in a different light. Where previously they've all looked like, you know, kind of buffoons. Because that's the way the rest of the world sees them. But now mm-hmm. when they're in their element, when the chips are down, when the bullets are actually flying, these are the guys you kind of want having your back. These are the guys you actually want to be in charge. And I appreciate the opportunity to better, to better understand that. Um, I note that Ron did not in any way factor into that, the, the people that I mentioned, because apparently he is the black sheep Weasley in ways I didn't even expect. Of where everyone's basically having to say, Ron, just, just, just shut up. Just like... How do you not understand this yet? Fine, I'll explain it for you and the audience. J.K. Rowling so uses Ron as being the guy that doesn't understand so the audience can get it explained to, it just really makes him look like a doofus sometimes. I mean, we don't have, uh, what's his name, that's our normal stand-in. Uh, who? The scaredy cat. Um, Neville? Yeah, Neville. 
Gotcha. People uh, generally don't even bother to explain things to Neville, to be fair. Neville's passed That's out when they start. Uh, we get a return for Percy to being his most Percy-ish here at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. He feels the need to defend his boss. Bart- is Barty Crouch not even his boss, right? It's just the guy you wants to actually no. work under? No. That he really likes and calls, calls him a different name. That, he is his boss. That my going he, he theory. He is his boss. Okay. Yeah. Direct boss? He, he, as far as we know. Head I thought he was head like of a little ways up. Yeah, he might be. Yeah, but uh, per- throughout all of this, Percy just feels the need to defend his boss's honor, and I like that Hermione just calls him out on his bullshit a little bit. And I like that it's more effective that Hermione's apparently the only one that even tries to be nice to him. So <laughs> yeah. when she says, "Well, it, I think there's this Hermione kind of wants to be him a little bit," and she wants to be a better I, like, version I, of him. Yes. But, but I also imagine that there's like this little schoolgirl school crush kind of thing going on too. Like, ooh, he has the prefect badge and is the hall monitor and, and sort of all of these things and She's... and is the head boy. and. But she has also experienced what it's like to have friends in the world and is yes. not willing to give right. that up. If Hermione, if, if Hermione is crushing on his accomplishments or his badges rather than the man. <laughs> she, yes. she, she wants everything that he's done with the life that she now understands can exist. <laughs> Um, but we get a last, which is a really interesting question to leave the chapter on of where, you know, we get, we get the people that are in the know, the Weasleys describe what happened of where this was Mm -hmm. Death Eaters on parade. They were drunk. They -hmm. were looking to celebrate in the moment. This was probably not a coordinated plan or plot. This was them just feeling their oats and wanting to walk through the streets rather than this being necessarily the sign that Voldemort has returned. If anything, their opinion is that the sign may have scared them off because they are the one, effectively the ones that are out in the open are the ones that publicly publicly denied their loyalty. So they actually have more right. to lose if Voldemort returns, mm-hmm. um, which raises the very fascinating question at the end about was this essentially a call to action by a, a true a true believer Voldemort fan, or was this a person that may have previously had the banner but was now trying to scare the rest of these Death Eaters off for a more common good. It's not clear. It's left open. Sorry, BJ. It isn't clear, but we also have a lot of indication that like people that followed Voldemort know that they're going to be banished for like decrying him at some point, but maybe don't care that much, i.e. scabbers. Um, Because, like, I mean, there is this completely craven sense to like a lot of these well i didn't really support him kind of mm-hmm. bullshit that that's going on with these death eaters and so you know the likelihood that they'll just come flocking and and bootlicking is super high even though that might carry some you know debasing punishment but it's unlikely to be a problematic one right I, i'd imagine that if Voldemort's yeah. going to make a claim he can't afford to start killing off loyal followers or loyal ish followers with giant air quotes but mm-hmm. um, right. uh, it, it raises an interesting qu- question to wrap out on um or and, he becomes more powerful when he does because that's sort of a thing that seems to be a general rule of evil magic and it eats life uh, yeah and sort of some of the events in past books <laughs> and also like uh, the mafia <laughs> Sure. <laughs> but similar to the prologue, I really liked this chapter, just, just from the delightfully mature churn it brings, mm-hmm. the interesting qu- questions mm-hmm. and world building that it raises. This is one of my favorite chapters we've done yet. You love to hear it, Spencer. <laughs> so, Sarah, winners and losers. Yeah, boy. Uh, boy, howdy. Boy, howdy. 
So, Got options. Uh, yes, there are there are certainly options. I would have to say that among, I think that of the people we actually get named and see, there is perhaps only one option for winner of this chapter. Percy. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Sarah. <laughs> uh, Malfoy seemed to have an okay evening for himself. Yes. Yeah, he got to watch the actual sporting event that he wanted to say. Yes. Um, and do some, perhaps not the most effective, but do some taunting in the interim in the full uncertain knowledge that his father is in charge of these proceedings, or at least participating in them enough that he mm-hmm. does not have to be at all concerned Worried. about his own personal safety. Without repercussions yep. for yep. apparently anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of losers in this chapter. Yeah, pick, pick one. Um, you know, I think we, we might have to go back to our rules on who is eligible. Um, I don't think muggles Winky. qualify. I, we barely see the muggles, although they p- yeah. probably had the worst of the evening. But they'll be memory charmed, so they won't remember it. So maybe they're, <laughs> hey, maybe so they're fine. Everything's forgiven. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that Winky had the worst, the worst of all possible days. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was either going to go with Winky or Barty Crouch, so between the two. Yeah, so, some member of the and Crouch family, the Crouch household, I, I suppose. I think Winky is it has such a terrible day because, and we see something that um, I wanted to mention as something that, that I'm sure is just sort of going to be passed off, but like a super adult theme of like really weird abuse mm-hmm. that like I... I guess to me is much more of an adult conversation, but I guess it'd go over the heads of younger children than like implied sexual violence. Because this like, I'm going to do the worst thing possible to you for you. And like, she's like, no, 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 like don't do that Mm -hmm. is like awful. It's awful. And it's really complicated too, to, to your point. Um, And, And the line, this means clothes with her grabbing her limited clothing that she has. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that had a bit of a, an edge, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that, like, the whole, that whole scene with Winky and her interrogation and then, like, ultimate casting off by Crouch is one of the more uncomfortable scenes we've encountered um, in my mind, even including the sort of, like, rampant torture of muggles we got at the beginning of this chapter. It's so hard. Mm-hmm. Particularly since, at least with the torturing muggles, there's people there that recognize that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. With, the torture, with the torturing and treatment of Winky... It's like it's just Hermione. Hermione. <laughs> it's like just Hermione, and she's silenced and pulled aside. Yeah. Everybody else is looking at this going, well, this is how we treat non-magical creatures in this moment. Yeah. Um, so, tough tough chapter for one Winky. Yeah. The house Agreed. Elf. Agreed. So, questions? <laughs> um... I, I, can... I have one which I know you're not going to be able to answer. Okay. <laughs> Start well, with that one, then. lay it um, on me. <laughs> which is, uh, how similar are twinned wands? And one which you might be able to answer, but I like espousing my pet theories. Is this actually Harry's wand? Um, I mean, so I might, I did, like, I did, I don't think that this is a huge spoiler to just tell you that yes this is harry's wand okay like he it gets given back to him and it's his wand okay um and i guess it's also would harry be sure it's his wand because like i i just have this feeling that presumably you know it'll be later um but 
like we know that this is a twin wand right. and that somebody else has somebody else important has this other yes version of the same wand. But I think that I can tell you without it. I don't think it spoils anything particular. Like Harry does recognize his wand as his wand. Okay. Um, gotcha. And even a twinned wand, just like in the world, even a twinned wand you would know was not your wand. Gotcha. Okay. I just. I mean, it's I a it's a completely fair question. I I don't think it's spoiler to other, answer it. it. Well, it is kind of spoiler because it tells me about other things that I shouldn't know about. Well, anyway, that's not my problem. But that's <laughs> not your fault. Um, so Spencer, you do you remember this? The, what? So, sorry. Uh, the wand twinning thing. No, I don't really. Okay, well then I'm. That's why I was sort of cagey about it okay. because it's a good thing for you not to remember because I feel like something's going to come up later and I think it'll be more of a surprise. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Sorry. When you say wand twinning, do you mean the idea of when Harry first got his wand, finding out that um, it's like it's a phoenix quill or something else that's a, in his a phoenix, phoenix feather, feather, yeah. That that phoenix gave two feathers and one's mm-hmm. in his that, that that is what we're talking about yeah and the other one was in um it was in Voldemort's, wasn't it yep mm-hmm. okay sorry okay i now uh, if that i now i now remember one twenty. sorry <laughs> right okay I, I need i you guys know me i need time for the thoughts to happen <laughs> but no no i understand you need time but if that wasn't something you remembered I, it's something that i felt like would be a very interesting surprise if they <laughs> do something with it in the future and so, like, reminding you of it might have been, like, an, oh, okay. Anyway. Right. But that was kind of, like, it's interesting that, like, he, there isn't enough of a bond with, with the wand for him to, like, always have it on him. And that is kind of weird to me mm-hmm. that, like, there isn't a, uh, I think it was in Altered Carbon where he sort of, like, if you pair, there's, like, this cool gun thing where if you pair a gun with yourself like you can sort of reach out your hand and it pops into your hand mm. that that's not a thing in the wizarding world Mm-mm. would be useful though <laughs> <laughs> of the things that would be oh useful, no i dropped my have. wand yoink yeah. <laughs> um, where could my wand be not it's having glasses and having retractable wands would be helpful uh, mm. well, qu- question for me we have heard now about another school of magic that exists in the world yes the, Bobaton's Academy of Magic, and I'm presuming France. Yes. I have evidence that it is in France. <laughs> um, is this suggesting that each nation has its own resident school, or are is it more thinly dispersed uh, than that around the, mag- the magical world? My impression is that it is more thinly dispersed than that. There might be like smaller schools in individual it's nations. It's probably. Everywhere that has a professional Quidditch team <laughs> also has a magic school. And they just school, feed and right into. <laughs> completely nonsensical. Because because one-tenth of all wizards become professional Quidditch players. The rest go into other things. And so if you have a professional team, you have to have a wizarding school to go along with it. Because other otherwise, basically what's happening is... Um, Every UK player goes and plays in another country, <laughs> and I understand that I'm essentially talking about hockey and Canada, but <laughs> Hogwarts can't have all of the uh, all Quidditch the- players except for like the couple Bulgarians that end up somewhere. So there are. <laughs> I'm going, just going back to the number of schools. <laughs> 
There are yeah. 11 long established and prestigious wizarding schools around the world. Um, we There are eight of them that have been specifically mentioned either in, or that are specifically mentioned either in the books or in um, kind of the Pottermore world. What was um, the Salem one? Was that a school or was yeah. that just like a society? That was just a society, but there is... That's what um, I thought. In, there There's is a U.S. school. Yeah, Eastern North America has um, Ilvermorny. Ilvermorny? Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's kind of a Scottish heritage school. Ah, okay. But it's in, it's in the United States. I was trying to associate something U.S. and magic, and that one was drawing a big blank. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, BJ, I got a couple more, but do you have any from you? Yeah, go for it. Um, just to be clear, uh, when <laughs> Crouch says this means close, is he literally basically just saying that he's going to abandon Winky into the world by giving her an article of clothing? Is that what we're supposed to draw out of that? Yes. That is just, it is, it is very interesting to see that, how much that was treasured at the last book of when, um, uh, what's the name of our other house elf? I'm just suddenly drawing a blank. Dobby. Dobby. Dobby, thank you. Uh, just... The accomplishment of every one of his dreams and hopes and desires and everything else, but for Winky, it is so obviously a moment of just abject torture and abandonment. Mm-hmm. I like the difference in the difference in perspective we get from that. Um, and I will tell you, and we find out that well, one of those is nor- one reaction is normal and one is not, yeah. or considered normal and one is not. So, yeah. Well, that that's super concerning because I'm I have a feeling I know which is which. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, Sarah, I agree with you that that scene of everyone just looming over and staring down Winky as she just cowers and babbles and is just confused and terrified. And then that ending line of this means close as she just breaks and glabs her tiny little shift of like a tea cloth, I think it was Alice, mm-hmm. was one of the darkest moments in the series, if not the darkest. It was, it was so unpleasant, I didn't really want to talk about it on um, Newbie's Notes. Yeah. It's just how uncomfortable that scene was. But a well-written scene, I'll give, her, give, give credit that I got that kind of feeling out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, last one for me is it, Harry being unaffected by the villa. Should I make any note of that, or is it just ignore that and move on? I think it's an ignore that and move on. Like, since you brought it up, I actually think that it is probably an effect of um, Harry listens to Mr. Weasley when he explains things, and Ron does not. <laughs> well, that's a character. I mean, for the ever- Powerful plot armor. Yes. What, what, <laughs> little of column A. Little of column B. What, one of the things I was just pondering was is that when he's looking at this, he's mostly focusing on the people that are affected, and he starts laughing. Yes. Maybe it's like things. a Boggart sort of thing. What, mm-hmm. I, I was almost wondering that if, if you were not, if you did not take it seriously, if you took it as a joke, if you didn't allow yourself to be entranced in that manner, was that effectively a defense? And that is how Mr. Weasley seemed to have been taking it, like during the mascot performance in the last chapter mm-hmm. and okay. he seems so, fine uh yeah, again it's just a whole collection of questions that i don't want sarah to say you can't answer so i'm just <laughs> gonna skip those <laughs> and Fair hopefully enough. i'll get answers later great so next time we um, have chapter 10 yes which is called what the ministry something, the minist- uh, something yeah. the ministry uh yeah one second mayhem, uh, mayhem is a name at- oh mayhem at the ministry it is yes and you'll be delighted to know sarah that we have a run of shorter chapters thank god I mean, and a very interesting robe. Uh, oh yes, I do remember picture the picture for, for the this chapter. chapter. <laughs> there, there, there is a robe that has crawled its way out of a box and appear, is appearing to stand while in the box. Yep, we will, we will encounter that robe. Um, all right, well, this has been fun, guys. Indeed, as usual. Looking forward to the next chapter.